So what were we going to talk about again today? This week, we are tackling the very fun, I think, topic um, of editing photos on iOS and I guess more broadly, uh, mobile workflows and how mobile devices do or do not fit into our individual photography workflows. You know, quite frankly, it doesn't sound like that fun of a topic because it's like so messed up, isn't it? Is it? Well, I mean, I, I, iOS is good, but I don't do anything on it because I, I feel like it's so, I don't know, it's convoluted, complicated. That's just my two cents, Josh being Josh, you know, that kind of thing. Man, I'm going to be alone here with the positive angle. Oh, yeah. <laughs> right. For me, it's the sheer number of options. It's it's just uh, overwhelming, really. I've uh, a couple times I've tried to figure out uh, what a nice photo editing app would be, you know, to get the occasional shots out of my phone and have them look nicer. And it's, it was just, I, I started looking up uh, online and I, I couldn't settle on one. Well, I, most of the time I use, I just use Instagram and Fireway. I did uh, play a little bit with the Visco app, but that was, I, I, it just never clicked for me. You know, the, the UI was too confusing. I like, it has a social element built into it that I was not really, uh, that much into. And the rest of the app sort of felt like a little bit uh, weird. And it it's happened, uh, that same thing has happened to me with all of the apps that I've tried. Mm -hmm. Like there's just, a, to me, doesn't there's, there's not like a one size fits all kind of, you know, catch all. This is the app I import into, edit into, export out of, do all my crops, do all my edits. You know, like there's not one specific app in iOS that does all that, at least properly. Right. I don't know if that's true. I mean, I, I agree with you that Visco is a very bizarre app design-wise. Um, not necessarily bizarre, but atypical. So it's not. It doesn't feel very intuitive in a landscape of uh, of iOS apps. But the actual editing tools are quite capable, I find. Um, but it's actually not my go-to editing app. I think the closest that I've found to what you guys are describing, uh, which is to say, an all-in-one solution that handles. Um, photo management and editing and cropping and everything like that is actually an app that doesn't get a whole lot of uh, attention, but it's called Darkroom. Um, and it's uh, it's an extremely powerful app. And what I like about it is that when you open it up, it actually, um, what you're looking at is your, well, what used to be called the camera roll. And uh, it actually just accesses photos directly from there. So you don't have to go through the annoyance of like import into this app and then export back into your photo library or anything like that. Like you're, you're editing in place as it were, um, but you have the added advantage of after you've made an edit, you get to choose whether you want to overwrite the original or um, save a copy, which is great because then you can, you know, make as many versions as you want. It's kind of like virtual copies in Lightroom. Right. That's pretty cool. Is that the one where you have like, like sliders that you can change the, what is that the one? No, not, it's not sliders. What am I looking for? It's kind of like a, the graph, like the lines. What, what do you call that again? The editing thing? Are we talking about a histogram? Uh, yeah. The tone curve? There we go. Is that the one that you can edit that one direct, the tone curve correctly? Or yes. like directly, sorry? That's the one. Yeah. Okay. Downloading now. It's pretty cool because so you've got your usual like brightness, contrast, saturation, blah, blah, blah stuff. Um, but the tone curve bit is is definitely, um, I think, the best implemented I've seen because you have a, um, a tone curve and you can adjust it either throughout the whole spectrum. So RGB, 
at the same time, or you can actually drill deeper and affect the tone curve of each color channel independently, which is super, like, it's a very geeky thing, but it's, it's like, it, you can get some very cool effects doing it. And uh, it's interesting to see that level of uh, in-depth editing available on, uh, on iOS, because you don't expect to see that, that level of like complication as it were. Yeah, definitely. Is it an iPad app as well? As far as I know, it's still just iPhone, oh. which is, yeah, I know. I, I've, um, I made this complaint on, um, I don't remember, I think it was on Medium. The, the developer is pretty active and, and discusses things there. And I, I remember leaving a response to one of his app updates at some point requesting that they consider an iPad app. And I, as far as I know, that's not happened yet, um, which sucks. But on the other hand, it is very, very good on, uh, on the iPhone and I think it's just the one guy developing it. So it's not really like, it's hard to expect. Mm, right. Um, yeah. Yeah. For sure. Right. So let's try to zoom out a little bit, uh, you know, from the discussion and, uh, take a look at the landscape of all these apps, because that's where I think most people, including myself, uh, get confused right from the beginning. All right. I think we should probably differentiate between apps that are more focused towards keeping your pictures organized and sharing them and then properly what you would call editing apps right uh, do you think that would be a fair way to sort of make a, a general uh, category division i think so because they tend to be different apps um this is actually a notable exception but most of them you're right there you they kind of do one or the other very well exactly well so to be, to be perfectly clear uh i am pretty uneducated when it comes to all of these apps so i'm going to let you guys fight it out this week and uh, this is going to be pretty interesting actually because i'm going to get to learn a lot and hopefully it'll be the same for for our listeners so uh, i'm going to ask you just point blank marius uh, what are the top contenders that you would uh, that you would consider when we're talking about this sort of high level view of, of all the apps that are out there well, if uh, if we're gonna separate it by category and deal with like um, organization versus editing, then I think um, the organization side of things is probably a shorter list. Um, like realistically, most people are only ever going to use the built-in Photos app, which obviously hooks into iCloud Photo Library and uh, is a very neat way to have all of your photos available on all of your devices within the Apple ecosystem. Um, so that's that's kind of the default, and to be honest, I think it's um, I think it's good enough for the vast majority of users. Um, th the fact that it's now uh, got some hooks in it that developers can attach their own extensions to makes it even more flexible. Because um, al although those extensions tend to be rather stripped down, and that's a, a limitation of the the way they work, it's not because developers are are not you know ambitious in their um, extensions. Um, but essentially, if, you, uh, if you've ever opened a photo and gone to the edit view um, in the Photos app, you'll notice that there's actually a way to access extensions. And there aren't that many of them. But for instance, if you've got an app like Pixelmator or um, Scanner Pro or a few of the other ones, you can actually edit using some of their tools while remaining in Apple's native app, which um, is something I'm hoping that they develop further um, but anyway, so the native app is one solid option. The other big contender that kind of made a big splash um, last year was Google Photos, which um, 
is effectively the same idea of a centralized um, photo library between all your devices, except it's cross-platform. Obviously, being a Google product, you've got it on Android, it's accessible from the web, um, and it's on iOS. And it's actually, it's a very good citizen of iOS. Um, it, you know, it, it works very well. It's not as seamless with the backing up, obviously, because it doesn't have the special permissions that native Apple apps do as far as, you know, running in the background to back things up. Right. Um, but it's better by far for organizing things because it uses Google's intelligence so that you can create albums and do searches for things without having to expend a lot of energy manually keywording things. Um, so this is something that if, if you're used to managing your photo library in something like Lightroom, you might be one of those people who um, goes through and attaches keywords for, you know, location or color or what's in it or, you know, whatever your system is. Um, Google Photos tries to make that whole process um, unnecessary, essentially. So you can search for dogs or particular pieces of architecture or statues or people, and it will actually find them without having done any effort on your part to keyword or identify them. It's just using Google's kind of freaky algorithmic intelligence to figure it out <laughs> right and it, it works really well really well like i've seen it in action not on my own but with uh, a friend's photo and i photo book they went to hawaii for a, a week and out popped it was really impressive uh, all he did was just send me a shared link and it was like a photo book and he didn't he just pressed a single button yeah it's honestly it's amazing how much um it, it, it's pretty special so that that whole thing is handled by something called the assistant which tries to assemble like if it if it feels that you've gone on a walk or something like that and taken a bunch of photos it will automatically assemble those into what it calls a story or an album and then it will show that to you and say hey we made this thing for you do you want to keep it yes or no um, and if you say yes then it becomes exactly that it becomes a shareable story photo story basically that you can just you know send to anyone um, the fact that this is all automated is what makes me um, prefer it uh, because it, it just does a lot of neat things for you. But um, the search thing is is what freaks people out. Whenever you show someone the fact that you can just search for any random thing that pops into your head and it will find it. Like I searched for pie randomly and it found a photo from like two and a half years ago where Shannon and I had baked a pie at home and I just took a shot of the final thing on my phone and forgot about it entirely freaky yeah it's freaky it's really quite freaky right and that intelligence level i think is what sets uh, these google photos offering apart from all the rest basically yeah. because to that to a point apple's always uh, tried to do something like that uh, i remember in iphoto that you used to have also the geo tagging and the faces and the places all sorts of uh, features that were supposed to make finding your pictures uh, particular pictures in a large catalog uh, a lot easier. Uh, but the difference is Apple's solution always seemed like half-baked. Uh, I never really thought it worked very, very well. For example, the faces feature, uh, for me at least, got uh, got it wrong uh, a lot, of, a lot mm -hmm. of times. Same here. I could never just set it and forget about it. And if Google, uh, with their much, much better you know, machine learning and uh, the, this is what they do, basically. This is what they're good at and they're yeah. using it, all of that to create this product that I think is, is pretty compelling. I haven't used it 
because of a particular limitations that we'll probably dive into further a little later, which is that most of these uh, apps don't support uh, raw editing. But other than that, I, I was really impressed with it, and I, I, I still, I'm still curious about it, definitely. So maybe, maybe I'll check it out. Marius, how does Google Photos handle uh, bandwidth when uploading and stuff like that? Because I think iCloud Photo Library, like it just destroys local Wi-Fi networks when photos are being uploaded, and like the internet in my place at least becomes unusable. You know what? I, I it would be difficult for me to comment on that because I um, neither of them impact my internet that much. Um, I think here in Toronto we probably have better <laughs> internet than uh, than what you might be stuck with out there. Which again, move to Toronto. <laughs> <laughs> the whole country revolves around Toronto. That's how we feel. I got a better idea. Why don't you both move to Spain? <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I could get on board with that too. <laughs> we can have this. This whole conversation, you know, in daytime, it would be nice. Around an actual table. Yeah, well, next time. Um, but anyway, I, I, I wouldn't be able to tell you because, again, it's it doesn't affect my internet speeds, but I feel like it's probably on par. Like, I, I doubt that one would do a better job than the other, um, unless there's some uh, system-level limitations on bandwidth usage for third-party apps versus the native app. Um, you know, I, I've heard that there, there's a fairly wide array of complaints regarding iCloud Photo Library and how it just grabs internet uh, bandwidth and just destroys local networks. I know it's not just me. I've seen it a lot. So I, I think I read somewhere that it's um, improved in the latest public beta, but uh, I'm not uh, I'm not on it, so I'm not sure. Right. But this is actually a very important topic because if you have an app that is a really bad citizen in the way that it hogs resources and especially network access, that can absolutely ruin the experience. And it might be a third app that is not your photo editing app, but if you're using, for example, Skype, which is notorious for its unpredictable behavior, and we just suffered it Skype. on our <laughs> on our very own hands a few minutes ago. Uh, if you have one app that is just doing something it's not supposed to, you might experience a poor uh, photo. Uh, your your photo editing app might not work properly, and it might be because of a third app. So this is all a bit tricky to to sort of navigate. But yeah, it's definitely important to keep an eye on what is running on your computer or your phone or whatever device you're using and make sure that everything is going the way it's supposed to be. Yeah. Well, one thing that I'll say as far as resource usage um, is that the way that both of these, so Apple Photos and Google Photos handle um, uh, storage is very intelligent, I think. And we're seeing this as a trend, uh, which which makes me happy. Um, so what they do is rather than storing a copy of the entire photo library on your phone, uh, they actually intelligently delete local copies and keep just a small preview so that you can browse through the library. And then they'll download photos as needed. And if you favorite a photo or something like that, then it will kind of mark it as a shot that you want to keep on the phone. But otherwise, it will kind of automatically try and manage the footprint that it's taking up um, from your storage so that you don't run out of space because you've got too many photos on your phone. And that's, to me, I think that's one of the major selling points, um, at least on a consumer facing side, because it means that the whole anxiety that you used to have about, oh, I've got to you know do something with these photos or I'm not going to be able to take any more because I'll run out of space on my phone. Uh, that whole anxiety goes away now, uh, regardless of which of these two options you use, because that's now managed for you. It's handled very well. And in my experience, um, 
enough photos are kept on the phone that I rarely feel like um, it's deleted something that I wanted to access and it's recent. So it, I feel it does a good job of balancing that. And, uh, and that's true of both of them. So I, I don't know if that affects you guys. I mean, I, I tend to buy phones with more storage now just because it's better from a number of perspective, uh, perspectives, but for people stuck with 16 gig iPhones and things like that, it, it really makes a huge difference. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And this, this is photo storage is, perhaps the canonical example of, of something that's been incredibly improved by cloud storage and, and cloud solutions. Because at some point, if you're keeping music on your phone, uh, local storage is still, uh, in my opinion, a better, a better solution. Because sometimes if you don't have a proper connection, it, it can take a while to download a bunch of songs. So yeah. f- for my own use, I prefer to keep the, the music that I regularly listen to uh, download it and have it locally but for photos that are pretty much instant to download uh, because again these systems are very smart in the way that they uh, do this process to make it appear seamless and they can download a bunch of thumbnails first so you get to see all your photos and when you start browsing I, I, I guess the system tries to figure out what you're what you want to look at and goes to download those first and in, in the end it's all very well very well done and uh, i agree that uh, for photo storage there's really not not much need anymore to have a huge amount of local storage on your phone yeah and we'll talk we'll talk probably more about photo storage and especially photo backups in another episode because that deserves that you know deserves more time oh, yeah. uh, being such an important topic but just it's a whale of a subject yeah but just in the context of of uh, mobile workflows that is a, an important aspect um, regardless of whether or not you're big on editing photos it's nice to know that you're not going to run out of space because of your whatever photo apps you're using. So that's one thing. So Marius, then like if you shoot a photo, let's say on, I don't know, let's say on a, the X70 or your X100T, how do you get that photo from the X100T onto, let's say Instagram or wherever you share it, Twitter or Flickr or wherever? What's your process? My process is much aided by the fact that both of those cameras that you mentioned now have built-in Wi-Fi, which is par for the course, I think, um, you know, in, in cameras of 2016. Um, and what that means is basically they will create their own local Wi-Fi network and you will download an app on your phone, uh, which allows you to connect to that network. And then um, usually it's either import photos directly or sometimes even remote control the camera, you know, to use your phone as a sort of uh, remote screen and uh, capture terminal for it. So uh, that's pretty neat. I I basically use Fuji's own app for exactly that. I pull off photos individually. Um, There is a setting that allows you to choose if you want to pull the photo down at full resolution or resized to be a little more um, appropriate for for exactly what you mentioned, Instagram sharing. Um, But I tend to download the full res versions because I do a lot of photo editing on my iOS devices. And so for me, I want to be working with the highest resolution file that I have access to. Um, but it's, it's really straightforward. I mean, I've, I've set one of the function buttons on the X100T to bring up the, basically just initiates the Wi-Fi connection. I open the app on my phone. They talk to each other pretty much automatically. I just choose the 
the uh, camera's Wi-Fi network, and then I pull the photos in and do whatever whatever I need with them. Basically, it's it's very seamless actually, and it feels um, it feels very magical coming from you know years of working with cameras where you'd have to pull the photos off onto your computer and then find a way to get them back to you know like even if let's say I'm shooting with the Canon um, 5D Mark III, I would have to pull the card out i'd have to go to my computer i'd have to you know take the photo out put it into dropbox or something like that download it from dropbox on the phone and then do any editing and posting like there's there's a lot of steps involved which are now removed right uh overall how about you like you i remember wrote a pretty extensive review of the a7 ii for tools and toys and in there you talked a lot about the about sony's uh wireless app right right I typically use these apps. I've also used the Olympus Image Share app. I think that's the name. Yeah, OI Share, OI Share app. I don't know exactly. who came up with that name. Yeah, me neither. But anyway, <laughs> so basically, all of these apps behave very similarly. And um, <clears throat> sorry about that. Uh, all of these apps behave very similarly, and you can use it. Uh, you can use them to shoot uh, remotely with the camera. Uh, by controlling, like Marius was saying, by controlling everything uh, from your phone. Or you can use the app to transfer pictures that you've already taken with the camera and uh, put them on your phone for editing, sharing, or whatever you want. So these are two very differentiated use cases that I think most of of these apps uh, support. But I almost always use them as uh, remote controllers, basically. I don't typically transfer my pictures uh, pictures that I've already shot with the camera to the phone by using these apps. I, I think it's in practice, even though it's a little bit more cumbersome, it's almost always uh, better to just pop the card out, um, insert it into the computer and transfer it and, you know, just do it uh, in a more traditional way. At least it works better for me. But there's also a very key distinction here, which is that uh, all of these apps, or at least I'm not, not aware of uh, any of them that support uh, raw files while you're shooting remotely with the phone and that's a big issue for me even if you have your camera set to raw and only raw not not just raw plus jpeg but only raw the second you open the remote control app and start shooting it's not saving raw files anymore it's writing uh, jpeg versions oh. and that's a bummer for me because even on the camera you get the jpegs you don't get the raws what i don't know why that's that's being done like that. I guess it's because they need to show the picture on the phone and the only way they can do that is by using the JPEG. But I don't know why they don't support saving a RAW to the camera while you're doing that. Wait, I'm confused. I admit that I don't tend to use the remote control functionality very much, but I was under the impression that it's not saving anything to the phone. Like I, I seem to recall trying it with the Olympus one or maybe it was the Fuji one. I don't remember which one I, I decided to try playing with, but... Um, I seem to recall it was really just a remote control, like it wasn't actually saving anything to my phone. Yeah, in the Sony app, you can configure it to whether you want it to save the a version on the phone or not. Oh, I see. Exactly, you can choose. And in the Olympus app, I guess it it will probably let you choose that way. And but but in practice, I still find that I mean maybe there's a way to configure it to save the ROS, but I haven't been able to find it. And I've been fiddling with the controls for a, for a good while with the Sony app in particular. Right. No, I believe you. That just, that doesn't make any sense. That's, that's bizarre. Yeah. But conversely, there's a good thing about these apps, which is, I believe, worth mentioning, is that you get to shoot, even if you don't have a memory card, 
on your camera. And that's a pretty good, uh, pretty good feature. If you run out of space or your memory card breaks or whatever, it fails in, in, any, in any way, these apps give you a way to keep shooting and you're just using your phone's storage as sort of a substitute for the memory card. Right. And that's a pretty clever, that's a pretty clever feature Very clever. that I just ran into uh, by chance. I, I, I forgot to put the memory card back in when I was shooting with the, uh, when, I, when I was reviewing the A7 II and shooting pictures for the review. I then realized that I didn't have a memory card in the in the camera. I said, "Oh damn it! I, I'm, I've lost all the pictures." And when I opened the phone, they were there. So that's a pretty, that's a pretty cool thing um, that I I wasn't aware of. And these apps can give you uh, some of these options that the camera alone wouldn't wouldn't be able to do because most cameras today, uh, Marius, you've already mentioned this. Most cameras do have Wi-Fi, and most of them also include some little social sharing features, like you can post an image to Facebook or to Instagram straight from the camera in most cases. But they don't work very well. They're they're just, uh, I think, the, the, they're there because the manufacturers wanted to be able to check that item, you know, on the box and say that their camera does that. But they're not really well thought out features. They're not the process is not really intuitive or anything. Right, so basically you import into the computer, edit, import back into the phone, and then share it. I probably Most times I just share it straight from my computer, except in the case of Instagram. They really need a desktop API, my yeah. goodness. Yeah, definitely. But yeah, what I tend to do is I sync the, the export folder using Dropbox or whatever, and just so that the, cam- the pictures appear on my phone automatically and uh, i just share from there so neither of you guys do like uh one of that airdrop feature from your mac to your iphone for getting the photo onto your phone well those of us with really old macs that don't support airdrop oh <laughs> yeah I don't know. yeah because it requires i believe it's bluetooth 4.0 like bluetooth low energy to work and uh yeah my both of my macs are from before just before the Bluetooth, the newer Bluetooth uh, was released and included in Macs. So yeah, I, I don't have access to that. I do that or I, I use iMessage. Like I just iMessage myself the photo. I've done that before. And if you remember uh, last year, I wrote an article. Oh, those color profiles. Yeah, I, I ran into a big issue with the color profile because um, my Lightroom export module for whatever reason was set to export Adobe RG, uh, RGB color space for the pictures and that's a wider gamut than iOS devices can can display so what the problem was there is that I was seeing one picture on my computer because the computer is able to display the full Adobe RGB color gamut but then when I emailed or sent the iMessage or just whatever way really when I got that picture onto the phone the phone was only displaying a subset of that gamut which is called sRGB and visually they're completely different you you got washed out colors on iOS and and that was yeah that was unnerving because I I didn't know where it was coming from and it took me a while to figure out but once once I realized that uh, it was the wrong export option in Lightroom basically I changed that to sRGB and now I get at least visually both images match uh, regardless of what device I look at them in I remember seeing those and it was substantially different uh, from one to the other, but 
I'd be terrified. Yeah, and this thing is really an example. This is just a similar example as the raw versus JPEG debate, right? You get uh, when you're using a device or a system that is uh, only able to handle a subset of the features that your Mac can do. Um, you're bound to run into these issues sooner or later because if you are used to uh, getting advanced stuff done on the Mac and you then try to add an iOS device as part of that workflow, uh, maybe the iOS device is not going to be able to... uh, It won't be compatible with those advanced features or advanced options. And that's where you start seeing inconsistencies. And to me, that was the the main problem I ran into. But... I, I imagine other people have run into other issues that, yeah, this is just normal. Right. I I would say that for myself, I do largely the same as Alvaro. Like I, I import into the computer and then I get it, find a way to put it onto the phone and, and go from there. So Marius, you're kind of the, the only guy who is an iOS only shooter. Well, I'm not, I mean, I'm not iOS only, but I do, um, I, I think it would be, fair to characterize myself as iOS first. So my workflow looks um, a little different in the sense that I will go out and I'll shoot whatever it is that I'm shooting. And then my first step will be to pull the key photos that I'm happy with onto my iPad Pro. And I'll do that using the Fuji app typically. And I'll I'll use the same, you know, remote capture um, thing from there uh, at full resolution. And then... um, I'm, I do a better, like a, a sort of more finessed cull of the images on the iPad because obviously I can judge them better on the on the nicer screen. Um, and then I will actually generally do just a basic set of edits or touch-ups if necessary right on the iPad and then share them to wherever they're going. Um, and then once my card is full, I will go back to my computer and I'll just sort of absorb everything into Lightroom, um, including the raw files, which obviously I don't get access to on iOS. Um, I'll pull the whole archive raw plus JPEG into Lightroom. And that's kind of the, for me, that's the canonical archive of all of the shots. But as far as just day-to-day usage, a lot of the shots are really just going through a very basic set of touch-ups in iOS done on my iPad Pro and then off to wherever they're going. Like they don't really, um, or even on my iPhone, to be honest, if I'm off somewhere um, and I don't have the iPad or I don't feel like pulling it out. So there's, um, I think we've gotten to the point now where, especially if you're shooting images that are, you know, uh, if you're, if you're shooting Fuji, like I am for most of my shots, then Um, You have the advantage of their uh, film profiles, which obviously um, do a lot of the work for you. And that's a good starting point. So you end up with JPEGs right out of the camera that um, you don't necessarily feel the need to do a tremendous amount of editing on. Um, And I I feel like in situations like that, a mobile workflow like this is kind of ideal because it saves you time. But certainly for client work, I'm doing all of the editing in Lightroom and and all on the computer still. Like we're not we're not at the point where I can do that kind of work on the iPad. But the frustrating part for me is that it's not for lack of computing power or interface capability. It's simply the, the software basically has not caught up yet. Um, and half of that is half of that is on Apple for not allowing um, iOS to handle raw files, for instance. And the other half of it is on software developers for only now starting to take iOS seriously as a platform 
for work instead of just, you know, the sort of tablet and basic consumption ecosystem. Right. Like if you look at Adobe Lightroom Mobile, which would seemingly, I think it would be a perfect, perfect sidekick app if you could save the same presets that you have from Lightroom on the desktop or uh, like, do you have the Apple Pencil, Marius? Like, I don't know why the Pencil doesn't isn't supported in any of these photo apps that I've at least come across. You can't use it for fine edits or like brush type edits the way you can on the desktop. Could that that would be the only way to get the fine tuned edits that uh, that you can have on the desktop. And if they could use the pencil, like I don't think the iPad, I don't think there's a better photo editing platform ever if the pencil worked in any app. That is yeah, that is exactly where I'm at with my thought process right now. I I cannot wait for all of the stars to align so that I can actually do real photo editing using the pencil on the iPad Pro because while I like the the desktop environment there's an immediacy to the pencil directly on the screen versus the mouse, you know, abstracted away that uh, I think would make for a much better experience. Unfortunately, it's still in the dream stage because we're we're waiting on the software side of things to catch up. Um, right, right. And to be fair, it's a fairly new device and, and a new peripheral, so it, it. I think it's reasonable that most big companies are going to require a longer development cycle to be able to support them. But it's an Adobe Photoshop Sketch, though. Like that's Adobe. Like the pencil's already supported there. I think their iOS apps are fairly low on the priority priority list from for them. Personally, I <clears throat> I've never been too impressed with their iOS apps before. Yeah, ag- agreed. I think the, yeah, their I, bread and butter is Photoshop and uh, yeah, you know all these pro editing apps on the Mac and on Windows, and yeah. it's it's perfectly reasonable to for them to you know continue to prioritize that market over the iOS market because. Let's be let's be reasonable here. The the overwhelming number of users on that, that that are going to be editing pictures on a phone or a tablet is not going. They are not going to be really advanced users. I mean, sure, there's going to be eventually more and more pros and and uh, uh, advanced uh, users that are going to try to get more of their photo editing done on a on an iPad or on a or an iPhone, but it's it's similar to what we were discussing on the Micro Four Thirds episode a couple of weeks ago. Uh, for that to be a viable uh, a viable business, you need more users, and I don't think that that's the case yet. Of course, the quality of the software is a is a primary mm, primary need there if the software is not good enough you're never going to get enough users to give it a, to give it a shot so it's at some point they're going to just say they're, they're going to have to just say okay let's do this let's put the resources and see how it goes and, and until they do that i think it's going to be difficult for it to to get traction i think we're seeing the beginning of that process though because um i don't know when you guys last tried you know, the, the general suite of Adobe apps on iOS. But right now, there are a number of really standout apps in their catalog. Like Lightroom, for instance, I find to be extremely capable, um, even the iOS version, setting aside the the raw compatibility thing, which isn't their fault. Um, but also something like Adobe Comp has entirely transformed my 
design workflow because I'm able to sketch out a layout for something using the Apple Pencil on my iPad Pro. And then I literally just poke one button in the interface on Adobe Comp on my iPad and Photoshop or Illustrator, whatever it is, automatically opens on my desktop with the file ready to work on further. Like that's that's really remarkable to me. And the fact that they have uh, the the um, ecosystem in place on the Mac and or on the PC, I imagine it works the same way there. Um, that allows them to create those kinds of experiences. And I think what what they're having um, difficulty with in general, like every other developer, is trying to navigate what exactly it means to be uh, a professional iOS app, right? Because you can't bring over the interface conventions that you're used to developing on um, for, for a desktop environment because the needs are different and the, the interface is different and the expectations are different. And I think that they're doing a pretty good job of slowly assembling their own interpretation of you know what what it means to be able to do like how do you arrange all of the features in a powerful app such that they are accessible um, by touch or through the pencil um, and like you said Alvaro I mean we've we've this is the first year that the pencil has even been a thing that the iPad Pro has existed so we're we're still at the beginning of this part of, I think, the ecosystem's growth, which is to say the part where it actually begins to mature into not just a casual ecosystem, but one that can be used professionally by more and more people than just you know tech bloggers. Absolutely. I think, broadly speaking, we could say that there are two main types of photo editing. And the, the first one is the one we've had for a while already on iOS, which is people that are just looking to apply a filter and change the way their image looks. You can also reasonably do, you know, the slider-based uh, editing, where you just um, change the highlights a little bit, or the shadows, or change the white balance. All of those uh, things that are very important in photo editing have been available for a while, and uh, and yeah, of course, you can always make them better, but they've been there for a while. But once you get into precision editing, uh, I think the Apple Pencil is absolutely a game changer because even though there were other styluses uh, for iPads and iPhones uh, before, they were all sort of uh, simulating what your finger would uh, would do. And iOS is yeah. calibrated to... Uh, that the touch targets on iOS are a certain size because they assume you're using your finger, and so it's it's pretty difficult to get precise uh, input using those styluses because iOS just won't recognize them as such. The iOS just thinks you're using your finger, and your finger uh, is supposed to be a certain size. So, uh, but in order to be able to, for example, uh, edit the eyelashes on a picture which is something that can create a, a pretty significant change in the way a picture looks. And that requires an incredible level of precision to be done right. Yeah, you need the Apple Pencil, basically, to be able to do that. And ideally, this is where being able to edit raw files also gives you a lot more latitude to edit and to make changes, subtle changes, because you need to be able to do them without destroying information. And on JPEGs, you just can't do that. 
I'd say that the other side of it is that you need to be able to do local adjustments. So one of them is precision. Well, that's one sort of missing link that the pencil is starting to resolve. Um, but the other side of it, and something that um, an app like Pixelmator, for instance, is already doing just fine, but a lot of other apps, including Lightroom, um, are missing the ability on mobile to do localized edits, which for any kind of professional photography retouching is crucial. Exactly. Exactly. And then you can sort of uh, take it to the next level and start adding complexity because, well, clearly Photoshop and Lightroom have shown that there's a long way to go if you if you want to get into advanced photo editing. So in short, if Apple is listening, iOS 10, raw support and improved pencil functionality. And not just improve pencil functionality, but the pencil needs to be compatible with more iOS devices if they want people to that adopt too. it and developers to develop software for it. Right now, there's just one device that is compatible with the and Apple it's gigantic pencil. and hard to just whip out of your bag. And it is, by definition, a niche product that only, uh, you know, uh, people with serious uh, serious needs are going to consider because for the vast majority of consumers, an iP a 10-inch iPad is going to be a more reasonable investment, I would say. Uh, this is changing. This is starting to change, definitely. And um, Marius is perhaps the best out of the three of us because you're using your iPad Pro to do your... Well, it's your main machine, right? It is, yeah. I mean, I've got my desktop machine that does my, you know, whatever things I still do on the desktop. But day to day, my casual machine that I do, I say casual here because it's like everything that's not requiring intensive computational power, like multi-threaded rendering stuff um, is basically happening on the iPad. And that includes documents, it includes spreadsheets, it includes a lot of photo editing, it includes um, design work, it includes, you know, most of the daily tasks that I find myself um, doing for the agency. Like it's just, it, it's become very much a replacement for a laptop to me. Like I haven't owned a laptop now for a while and I don't, I don't miss it. Like I, I, there's, there's not been a case yet where I was out somewhere and I was thinking to myself, man, if only I had a laptop for this particular task. Exactly. And if we take a look at how uh, these things have played out in the Apple ecosystem before, uh, these features typically appear on one product first and then sort of trickle down the lineup and uh, become uh, become ubiquitous in the end. I'm hoping that's the case, that's going to be the case for the Apple Pencil and for all of those more precise features uh, that, that the iPad Pro has. And and there's rumors already circulating saying that the 10-inch iPad, a supposed 10-inch iPad Pro is going to be released uh, this month even. Ooh, fingers crossed. Yeah, so there's hope that, that they're taking it seriously. The problem is Apple also has a history of keeping certain features, especially high-end features, uh, as exclusive to their Pro models, so to speak. And uh, I think that would be a huge mistake in this case. But uh, I, I guess we'll find out soon enough. Uh, yeah. The, the problem is, yeah, the problem is particularly in this case, uh, unless the Apple Pencil is broadly supported by, I would say, all iOS devices, I don't see the big companies taking the risk just yet. And it's funny because once uh, every time they release, you know, a super new uh, product or a super new. Um, accessory it's 
it you usually see uh, the indie developers are, are usually the first to support them because they have uh, if you if you want to look at it that way they have uh, less to lose they can they can just afford to um, just get cracking for a couple months and and get get an app out there and see how it works but the big companies have a much slower development cycle because they have to allocate resources first they have to study whether it makes sense and by the time they finally decide to jump into it uh, a few months have already passed so I think we're in that stage right now I'm pretty sure Adobe and uh, other companies Pixelmator I don't see why not uh, these these companies should should be already developing for the Apple Pencil and trying to incorporate support in their apps. And uh, if if uh, the rumors are correct and we end up seeing uh, uh, another iPad members uh, that are able to use the the Apple Pencil, I think that's only going to get better and faster. So that's personally what I'm hoping for, definitely. So can I hijack this conversation and ask both of you guys a quick question? Sure. Yeah, go for it. Really quick. Okay, so are both of you guys Instagram users? Yep. Okay. I love Instagram. Uh, I don't publish or I don't like post as many photos on there as I would like to. Um, but it is easily my favorite social network out there. Um, so my question to you guys is how do you, are you, um, iPhone only Instagram shooters? No, 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 not at all. I actually only rarely post Instagram pictures from my phone that were actually taken with the phone. Okay, good. Marius? Yeah, I'm, uh, I mean, I try and keep it somewhat balanced, but no, I, I would say that I'm definitely not picky about that. I will basically put up whatever photo I want to, regardless of what it was shot on. I mean, I, okay. I, I shoot, I mean, I think this is true for all of us. We, because we review things as well, we shoot with so many different devices that it would be strange to only post from one of them. Like it, it just doesn't make any sense. Exactly. And I think it, you have to think about it in terms of, uh, I see two kinds of Instagram users mostly. The the people that use the app as a sort of blogging platform, that they're just sharing how their life is and what they're what they're doing and what they're eating and the places they travel to. And for that type of use, just the camera phone works great. You can just shoot a pic, share it, and off you go on, uh, to the next. But there are also other type of users, and, and that's those who use Instagram sort of as a marketing tool as a publishing a uh, sort of a professional way to get their work out there right and many photographers use Instagram that way so for that for that type of user of course they're going to be predominantly using dedicated cameras and then uploading those pictures to Instagram and right. I've just never been that interested in the blogging uh, part of Instagram. I've never been a super active user, so I don't typically share a lot of phone pics because of that. I do share pictures that are relevant, uh, you know, because they are related to the work I'm currently doing. So I share them from my camera, but I've never been that much into the phone part of it. Some people are really, really bent on iPhone only shots on their Instagram uh, rolls or feeds or whatever. So um, I just want to make sure you guys weren't like that before I proceeded to the next question, um, which is if you guys post a photo to Instagram, like what is your step-by-step -step process? Um, like I, I like to shoot photos from my own camera 
and not on the phone, like use a camera photo and, you know, edit it onto my, on my Mac. And then what I do is I export it out of Lightroom and then I have to make the image smaller. So I pop it into a, uh, an app called image optim, which just kind of shaves the image and makes it smaller. And then I actually, I message it to myself. Then I drop it into an app or I save it from my message into my camera roll. And then I open uh, an app called Insta size, which puts like a white border around the, the app or sorry, around the photo. Do you guys know what I mean by the white border? Like it's like, you know, Instagram's got that square format and then you kind of put, you shrink the image and put white around it. Right. But that used to be the case before. Now, now that they support landscape pictures, you don't need to do that anymore. Well, I mean, but still like, there's still a trend that to put the white border around it. Um, okay. Like you can find a pile of photographers who do that. I prefer it. I really like it that way. So I drop it into InstaSize and then I save it again into my camera roll. And then I open it in Instagram and share it like that as a convoluted process. Yeah. And I'm kind of curious if maybe I can improve my process by listening to what you guys do. Well, I, I just don't use that uh, that step that you described that, you know, of adding the, the white uh, borders. So I just respect the, I either crop to square format if I want to, or I just respect the original aspect ratio. Okay, cool. So that's one step that I don't, that I don't usually do. But the, my process is usually uh, if there's a picture I've taken with the camera and it's already on my Mac because I've transferred it with the SD card. So if I have it on my Mac, I edit it on Lightroom and these are all RAWs, right? Right. So typically what I do is if I'm, if I already know that I'm exporting the picture to be, you know, just for Instagram, for example, then I export it at a smaller size. In in Lightroom's export dialog, I just set a smaller size, uh, about two thousand pixels, the long edge, you know, just mm-hmm. right approximately. And that's a that's a small enough size that I can then upload it to Dropbox or email it to myself or send it via iMessage or whatever whatever method I want to use that day. Typically, I, I just copy it into Dropbox and then pick it up uh, using the Dropbox app on the phone and just share it from there. So yeah, I'm I'm curious about what you mentioned that that the fact that you need to make the picture smaller is that because you're uh, you're picking a JPEG from the camera that is bigger or is that to save bandwidth you know over iMessage that that's part of it um but if i go into lightroom and i export out of lightroom and let's say i just do you know the 19 i I do generally 1920 on the long edge and i do like a 72 pixel resolution or pixels per inch or something like that and i export it out i still get like a two megabyte file and i maybe i'm doing something wrong but i just don't feel i need to have a two megabyte file so I make it as small, not as small as possible, but I, sh- you know, uh, shred a lot of the quality and get it down to like a 200 kilobyte size and then I message it. So maybe I need to change how my export settings are. Well, you can do in Lightroom, you, what you can do is set the maximum file size that you want to, that you want to have for your exported pictures. And, but like, does it not bounce back at you and say like, oh, Lightroom can't make this image smaller? You never get that. I remember running into that all the time. Well, on extreme on extreme cases, yeah. If you set a, a really big resolution and then a really small file size, it's going to tell you that it wasn't able. But in general, I think uh, over two hundred kilobytes, you should be fine. You should be safe, especially with a two thousand or nineteen twenty pixel resolution for mm. the long edge. Long okay. edge. Oh, that way. Yeah. I just remember having incredible issues with that. But Marius, how about you? Like, how do you get your photos onto 
Instagram? Well, I, I mean, I, I feel like I've already forgotten half the steps that you've got in there. <laughs> I, <laughs> I, I, I must... I must have a really. Uh, it is convoluted, no doubt. It's well, okay. So let's say that I'm um, I'm just looking at my Instagram feed now to see uh, some examples of recent photos. I, most of the ones that are recent were basically like this. I was out somewhere. I took a photo on my camera. I used the Fuji app to pull them onto my phone, and then I opened Instagram and posted them. Oh man, that's too easy. So, so that was not very complicated. But let's let's go with a different one. I have one. Um, actually, I think the most recent one of a building that I uh, that I took on a phone. But this time, I pulled it into Lightroom on the computer and made some adjustments there. Then I exported it at I don't know fifty percent resolution or something. I have a bunch of custom presets that I have made for blog versus. Um, social sharing versus whatever. So I don't remember what preset I used. It kind of doesn't matter. Um, Tossed that into Dropbox. And then, like Alvaro said, just picked it up on my phone and posted it to Instagram. Um, frankly, I don't care about the file size and anything like that because Instagram is going to re-optimize anyway. Yeah, so exactly. rather than have it compress you know, compressed by me and then compressed again, I rather, you know, just I will feed it a big file and it can do whatever it wants with it. That's what I do as well, yeah. And the, the 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 difference here between what you what you mentioned earlier is that uh, that workflow where you transfer the picture to the phone using the camera app that works great when you want to share a picture right away after you take it, right? Like you're in the moment and you want to share something that you're doing or whatever. And that's uh, what I do occasionally when I need to do something like that. But typically, I don't really care about sharing my images right away so I'm most of the time I'm just perfectly comfortable with waiting until I get home and I can properly get them out of the camera all all of them all of them at once and take a look at them on the computer and then decide whether I want to share them or not so that's depending on your time time needs yeah you can you can go one way or the other but yeah right so this was enlightening i learned how i have gone crazy with my instagram sharing (laughs) well it's just i think your 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 workflow is solid i mean it's essentially the same steps you just have a few extra things in there that may or may not be necessary depending on um the reasoning behind it so right like get rid of the white border thing and we're kind of more or less the same spots i i was really curious if you guys had um if you had any apps recommendations for the the white border part but Alas, that does not seem to be the case. Well, I yeah, I used to do that before they they started supporting landscape and portrait orientations. So I remember a few months ago, I sh- I wrote an article about that exactly that how to get your your pictures from your camera to Instagram. Right. Yep. And I was uh, I, I I talked about the the aspect ratio among among other things. Right. You wrote that, and then like three days later, Instagram updated. Right. Well, I don't remember how, how long it was, but yeah, soon thereafter they they added support, and I said nailed it. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah that was that was fun, and I I remember the app that I used. I don't remember the name, but uh, I was pretty happy with that. It was it, it was a very simple app, and it allowed you to just uh, add the uh, the crop that you wanted, and, and you can choose the color for the background if you want it to be black or white or any other color entirely. So yeah, you could do a bunch of things, and then save. Uh, straight to the camera roll, or even um, you could. Uh, I get. I think you could also apply some 
some filters or something like that. But anyway, what I used was only the crop and, and I always saved the camera roll and, and then import it into Instagram from there. Uh, yeah, I guess we'll just include a link in the show notes to that article so that you can check out which app it was because I, I honestly, I can't remember the name right now. In, Insta Square-er it, is what it looks like. Okay. Insta Square-er. Well, there you if go. If I could say that 10 times fast, I would, but... <laughs> <laughs> so it sounds to me like um, I'm actually the only one of us then who actually has a, uh, I guess, a, a mobile photo workflow, as it were. I mean, it, it sounds like I am the only one who's actually using an iPad or an iPhone as part of uh, like a regular photography workflow as opposed to just the occasional thing or just a sharing platform. Is that is that correct? Yeah, I think so. And and for me, well, I'm sorry, Josh. No, 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 no. I was just going to say, yeah, more or less. Like I've once, I think I did the Adobe Lightroom mobile app. I imported into the um, into there from the camera and then shared it, but I didn't like that experience. So I don't do it at all that way. Right. I've been curious about uh, incorporating uh, an iPad into my workflow for edit, editing pictures, but there are still uh, there's still one massive uh, thing that is keeping me from from actually doing it, which is the raw file support. And where it all breaks down for me is that I would much rather have just one workflow for all of my pictures. So I, I suppose I could edit some of the pictures on the iPad and share them on the iPad and some on the Mac, depending on my editing needs for each. But that would uh, that would mean I would have two separate catalogs and I would have to remember uh, and maintain two separate workflows. And that's just not something I, I want to be dealing with. I, I would much prefer giving up some of the convenience and, and immediacy of uh, having an iOS device as part of my workflow in exchange for having just one big photo catalog where I know all of my pictures are. And to me, that just makes more sense. Right. The day that uh, they add raw file support to iOS, that may change, especially now that the Apple Pencil has brought that extra... Everything will change. Yeah. Especially now that with the Apple Pencil, they have um, sort of provided a way to get those more advanced edits done. That's no longer a problem for me. Uh, so, yeah, I'm, I'm curious to see what they release and... Uh, in, in this 20, March 2021 20, event. And if there's a new iPad and if, fingers crossed, we get raw file support, then it's going to get interesting. But uh, until then, I'm still not ready to go to jump into iOS photo editing, I would say. Yeah. We, we Sony shooters with our noses in the air and our raw files, hey? Jeepers. Yeah. <laughs> no, no. I mean, it's th these are all reasonable considerations. And I, I, like, so what Alvaro just said about not wanting multiple photo workflows, I understand entirely. And I just made the opposite compromise. So I said, uh, you know what? I'm willing to have two different photo workflows because I do want the convenience of being able to shoot on, to shoot and share directly while I'm on the go. And, um, the other half of that is that for me, I'm I'm kind of preparing myself for what I see as an increasingly inevitable change to iOS. Because at this point, I think there's enough um, there's enough demand that it's only a matter of time before Apple does make raw support um, a thing in iOS. At which point, uh, like you guys said, every everything will change, um, and I just want to be prepared for it. And honestly, it's not that much of a hassle to have two different workflows, especially since realistically the photos are still ending up in one catalog. I mean, like I said, even if I'm editing something on the go, everything still gets pulled into Lightroom 
on my computer. Um, so canonically, there's always a copy in Lightroom, regardless of whether or not I've done something elsewhere with it. Right, but then if you then if you want to make additional edits to that picture, you have to go back to iOS and and, and do right. that on iOS. That that's what I meant about having to remember where you edited each picture. Well, you you can of course add keywords to the files, and then the remembering part is easy, but. Yeah, you still have to be managing different devices, and that's something. I, it's, I mean, I absolutely agree. Why you, I absolutely understand why you do it, and, and I think it's a reasonable choice. It's just a different one from the one I, I made. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, for me, it's just I don't find myself actually having um, that many occasions where I go back to re-edit a photo and reshare it somewhere else. Like usually, if I if I've shared a photo, it means I'm happy with the way it looks. I'm happy with it being out there in the world, and I'm I'm not going to be going back to it to re-edit. And I suppose if I if I found myself doing that very often, then it would bother me more, but as it is, I can't even um I can't even recall the last time I did that to be honest. So I it for me it's just a non-issue. Right. Um but what I wanted to mention and this is something that actually might be of interest to you guys as a potential um reason to consider Lightroom Mobile at least as a as a mobile workflow thing. I discovered um well, I discovered. I I for me it was interesting to sync collections of review images to Lightroom Mobile. And the reason is, you know, I do all my editing in Lightroom on the desktop, but ultimately I know that most of my readers are going to be looking at these things on iPhone screens or tablet screens or things like that. So what it means is I can actually edit the photos in Lightroom and then just review them on my iPad and see what they're going to look like in context, Mm. as it were, you know, like on the actual screen that people are watching them or looking at them on. And then the nice thing is that because of the way Lightroom Mobile works, despite the fact that you don't have the ability to edit raw files on iOS, if I see that, for instance, the exposure is too low on a photo, I can bump it up in uh, Lightroom on my iPad and that edit synchronizes back to Lightroom on my desktop and gets applied to the raw file, not the JPEG file. Because Lightroom is, you know, synchronizing edits as metadata, right? It's it's non-destructive editing. So... I can make changes on the iPad, and while what I'm seeing on the iPad is it performing those changes on my JPEG files, I know that as soon as I go back to my computer, it's applying them to the raw files that I'm actually using. So it's kind of like, it's it's almost good enough, but not quite. Um, but just as a as a review platform for images, that's uh, that's another thing that I've found myself doing, um, and it's it's pretty handy. Interesting. Yeah, definitely. definitely. I I mean I I hadn't heard of that directly but it makes perfect sense that that's how it would work i'm gonna try it (laughs) except that my internet is so slow that i syncing collections and syncing photos just is brutal yeah and honestly that's the other side of it is if your connection is not great then all of these cloud services are sort of not that appealing (laughs) in general right local exactly local storage yeah, and I found that to be particularly the case with uh, Lightroom Mobile. I, uh, I I accidentally set a couple collections to sync, and uh, they took forever to show up on my on my iPad. And I was yeah, I was never happy with the way it all worked. So maybe that's changed by now because it was a few months ago uh, when I tried it. I don't know, but yeah, I remember playing with it by chance, and then I never I never really liked it that much. So as a whole, like we are not. Uh, Alvaro and I are not 
extremely happy with iOS just yet, and Marius is pretty happy with it. Yeah, I mean, I think I, I think pretty happy is a good way to put it. I'm I'm certainly not at the point where I'm recommending it to anyone um, as a professional platform. I don't think it's there yet. I, it just so happens that my particular arrangement of needs is such that I can make use of it, um, even professionally for photography in a way. But uh, we're we're still not at the point where I would be doing client work edits exclusively on on my iPad. But I'm I'm of the opinion that we will get there and probably sooner than later. And I can't wait because again, for, for me, the 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 ability to manipulate photos with a pencil directly on the screen is just it's so much more um, not just precise, but it just feels more immediate than doing it with a mouse. Agreed. Um, so it's just, you know, what once we get that final hurdle cleared, you know, raw files and the software catching up to these professional contexts, I think the iPad Pro is really going to um, earn its place as a as a professional tool for photographers as well. Right. I'm just a bit, uh, you know, hesitant because uh, I don't see myself abandoning the Mac anytime soon for this particular task. And like I said, since I don't really want to be keeping two separate workflows, I I, I think I'm going to be quite resistant to this particular to this particular change um, but um, you never know I mean if, if they announce a way to sync um, both workflows that uh, that is seamless and it works well then yeah I'll, I'll be on board definitely well I, I just have to preempt some commentary that we're inevitably going to get um, for this episode because while we've been talking every single Windows user in the world who's listening has been cringing and trying to remind us that things like the Surface Pro exist. Um, oh. Because effectively, right now, the Surface Pro is the solution to the exact problem that we're talking about because you get your full desktop Lightroom experience. Right. Oh, that's a joke. <laughs> you get you get the, you know, the stylus support and you've got it in a portable, powerful tablet. So the, the solutions do exist. Exactly. Um, the Surface Pro is a wonderful, wonderful machine. Um, and, you know, th- so we're not leaving them out. It just so happens that we are more... Um, entrenched in Apple's ecosystem. Right. We do apologize to all Surface Pro users out there. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic point, but blinders are on. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I've reviewed several of them and I, I really did like my time with the Surfaces. It's just for me, it, it wasn't, um, it, at that point, it wasn't what I needed. So I didn't end up buying or, or keeping rather um, the ones that I had. Uh, the other side of this is for the mobile shooters out there who are on Android instead of iOS, they, of course, um, with more recent phones and more recent updates, have the ability to shoot RAW on their phones and edit RAW in Lightroom Mobile on their phones and tablets. So in that sense, they're kind of ahead of the curve um, versus iOS for photography. So that's another thing to keep in mind. Um, just, you know, again, it's, it's something that I think iOS has to catch up on pretty quick. This has been a good learning experience. I think it's inevitable, really. Sorry? No, I was just saying, I think it's inevitable that, that iOS will become raw capable in the near future. Yeah, it has to. It's probably not even going to take another major iOS version. So, well, we'll see. I mean, they really should have done it by now, but I really think once they released the pencil, that was that was a pretty clear sign that this was going to happen. So, fingers crossed. A nine in, a nine inch iPad with 128 gigabytes of storage and raw sto- and raw support and Apple Pencil support. Like I, I just don't think I would need another computer for photos ever again. Yeah, 
well, I would still I would still need the, the the Mac because having a bigger screen for me is very valuable when when doing my edits. But yeah, I would definitely take it with me on a, when I go shooting because if I have concerns about how a particular image is going to turn out during a studio shoot, for example, being able to actually look at it and manipulate it a bit uh, while you still have a chance to reshoot if if it doesn't work out. I think that's very valuable. And uh, what people do these days is they tether their camera with to, to a computer using the HDMI out or whatever whatever method that they use. Oh, right, okay. Yeah, that's that's totally a thing. And then it's pretty cool. But if you have to take a, a computer with you, that's that adds even more weight, even more bulk to your camera gear setup. And yeah, having the ability to do pretty much that using an iPad instead of a computer, that would be a very, very valuable advantage for, for some people, including myself. Another step that we didn't talk about at all was that um, Apple has that SD card or lightning to SD card reader that's been updated now that you can import into a, an iPhone as well. Um, I haven't picked it up, but I think that's going to be my my canonical option. I have one of those. And do you like it? Um, I mean, I, I like it fine. It's uh, it's still not very quick to import photos, so mm-hmm. don't expect anything, um, you, you know, like it's not something that you're going to do in a hurry, but it does pull in the RAWs and the JPEGs. You can't edit the RAWs on iOS, but it does shoot them up to... Um, oh, so you can store them. iCloud Photo. Yeah, you can store them. So it, okay. it, works, it works pretty much as you'd want it to. It's just not super fast, even on the iPad Pro, which... Um, is you know doing it uh, at uh, USB three speeds. It's just you know it's it takes its time, mm. but it does get the photos off. It does store the raw files and the JPEGs. It you know you get access to um, the JPEGs for editing in whatever app you want. And whenever you're back to your computer, you could conceivably pull those raws down and uh, edit them separately through like image capture or something. Yeah, whatever you feel like. So it's it's a pretty good um, it's it's a neat little dongle. Um, I'm happy I have it. Um, but honestly, it's the only time I turn to that is when A, I want the raw files or B, I'm pulling in like a lot of photos at a time. Um, but for, for most cases where I'm just pulling, you know, five or 10 shots, I just use the, uh, the Wi-Fi connection because, you know, it's, it's one less thing to plug in and do. And so, yeah. 